And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Medicine and innovation, it's a big big industry. It is a big, hot, it's a hot topic. All kinds of people involved in it. Uh, Everybody uses it. And the United States spends the most on it in sometimes ways that are not maybe the most effective and could usually use a little bit of innovation. So that's what we're going to get into today. Before I introduce today's guest, Quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and afford- affordably. With me today, I've got Dr. Greg Ator. He is the Chief Medical Informatics Officer at the University of Kansas Health System. For those of you that are listening outside of the Kansas City area, which is most of our audience, even though that's my hometown, KU Medical Center is all over Kansas City. My sister went to KU Medical uh, and got a medical degree. And if you're local, you hear it everywhere. And they do some really amazing stuff. We're going to talk all about that today. First, I should say, doctor, welcome to Start a Puzzle. Matt, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, now normally I've got I've got tech company founders on here, and I usually say the CEO and the founder tells the backstory better than anyone else. But in your case, I'm going to have to say that the CMIO probably tells the story a little better. What's your, what's your backstory and what brought you to, to that role at KU Med Center? Okay. Well, it's uh, actually been a great, great ride. I, I first kind of got involved with, uh, with uh, technology actually um, in my undergrad days, I'm an electrical engineer. And so I, actually never worked as a uh, engineer other than, you know, some summer gigs. But uh, basically, my goal was to go to medical school uh, early on in, uh, in my career. And I, I think I'm a pretty good example of, of why a diversity of background is a good thing uh, in, in all sorts of pursuits, including medicine. Uh, this engineering background uh, sort of led me to get involved with technical things. And then when the, the EMR and even I, I can even go back and remember the, the start of the Internet and the browsers, the first Mozilla, I believe it was browsers and, and, and just how I saw the, the potential uh, impact on medicine. So I teamed up with some business folks uh, at our institution and uh uh, around uh, nine, well, about 2003, we put our first EMR product in the institution, and we are are now kind of on essentially our third, uh, probably big, big vendor. Uh, and that project went live at about 2005. So it's been a a couple of decades of experience with really 
the CMIO role, Chief Medical Informatics. It there are other designations for it, but but really we are the um, the interface between the technology and the the provider at the front line. So we're trying to translate technology into what the physician needs or wants to do in the office with the patient. The goal being better care. You know, how do we use technology to improve care? Uh, and 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 you mentioned uh, uh, the spend. The U.S. spends a lot of money on healthcare, and a lot of that is waste. And so, how do we use? Uh, for instance, uh, the, the technology to stop doing things that don't matter and do the things that do matter for healthcare. So EMR, what's that? EMR is electronic medical record. So, you know, that's the right. transactional system that docs use on every patient every day uh, to uh, really to, it's a note taking system right now. It, it is starting to do more and more things. Um, uh, and it, it needs to do a lot more to, to get doctors to where most of them want to be, which is doing good medicine all the time for every patient. We always say that good software, good businesses, really anything worthwhile solves a problem. I think that if anyone could solve the problem of why do I have to fill out the same forms every time I go to the doctor, I think we could probably get a lot of people behind that. But what you're, you're referring to is more along the lines of the notes, the everything that occurs either before or after I come and see you or a doctor in the exam room. Well, that's right. That that what you referred to there uh, initially is the the whole concept of interoperability. So you know, the, there there have been a lot of government money uh, thrown at the idea that everyone needs an EMR, and I think we actually in, in in Kansas, I think the latest stats they're old from four years ago is that ninety three percent of the practices have have technology. Uh, so, you know, we have technology and now the challenge is what to do with it to really uh, uh, move the ball down the field towards better care, healthier patients. And then, of course, in there, we've got the burnout problem with providers as well. So ideally, uh, you know, you could almost think of like a Bloomberg terminal uh, concept where, you know, the, the, there are systems that are going out and talking to all these data sources in the community, nationally, and then bringing it back as you're taking care of a patient and recommending various treatment courses, discussing uh, the pros and cons of, of uh, a particular medicine, uh, throwing a little pharmacogenetics maybe, uh, understanding what they're going to respond to before you, uh, you do it. So it's kind of like getting rid of some of the art of medicine and, and uh, and, you know, maintaining a human touch, but also, uh, you know, improving our, our, our science uh, on every patient every day. So was the original problem with that just like handwritten notes that were not transferable or, it, you know, you couldn't see them from one doctor to the other or they required too much input manually? Or, I mean, what's the most basic problem that needed to be solved to make EMR a little more usable or feasible? Well, I think, I think the, the um, you know, what we should be striving for is data uh, as a byproduct of care rather than the kind of the current paradigm is, you know, the doctor sees the patient and then they, uh, you know, it's, 
hard, but sometimes the idea of, of recording uh, the whole thing while you're in the room with the patient, you know, there's a lot of cartoons about the doctor, you know, the patient's looking at the top of the doctor's head uh, while the doctor is tending to the technology. But if we can imagine things uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence recording our conversation a la uh, Alexa or, or one of those assistants, and, uh, you know, the note comes out as a, uh, at the end of the conversation, and it's not a, uh, it's not a deposition style transcript, but it is a interpretation of what happened. You can imagine that right now the, the doc has to listen to the patient and then typically go out in between patients and enter all that stuff into the record. Um, and that is, you know, really not an optimal uh, way to do it. Uh, we do have some tools, uh, different vendors have, um, have the ability to uh, automate, you know, stuff that you say a lot as a provider. In other words, maybe risk and benefits around a particular medicine. But ideally we would like, and we are piloting this at uh, KU right now is, is a product that uh, essentially listens in on the conversation. And then when the doc is done, the note is done. And you can imagine if you added uh, a doctor or maybe up on a screen or some sort of uh, uh, interaction, the doctor, you should ask them about that visit they had with Dr. So-and-so last week. Uh, and what do they think about that? And, you know, so it's this idea that if we can get the information uh, moving around uh, the community, you know, with appropriate safeguards around uh, privacy and security, uh, when the doctor is seeing the patient, it's not a matter of uh, let's clean it up afterwards. That's a little bit about, you know, some of the thing in the population health world right now where the doctor sees a patient and then afterwards we uh, kind of have people that scurry around and clean up, uh, you know, all the things that maybe didn't get talked about. Uh, but you can imagine that if while you're having a conversation, these things are fed to the doctor and then they they right at that point when the doctor and the patient are having a good conversation, the computer can help the doctor, you know, make good decisions. So so automation would be uh, a fabulous thing in that space. So according to my notes here, you've, there are almost 800,000 different companies in the U.S. healthcare sector. Uh, why, why is KU Medical Center tackling problems like these and not just pushing that back out to the world of like the Cerners or startups or whomever? Well, um, we actually use Epic at our shop, uh, which is, a, you know, a very comparable product to Cerner. Uh, those are kind of the number one and two, you know, probably worldwide. Uh, they... You know, the, the problems that the Epics and the Cerners of the world have is they are uh, transactional systems that are, they have many, many masters, uh, let's just say. Uh, and the doctor and the patient and um, healthcare are there, but, you know, you also have to do the legal community and, and uh, defensive medicine, the billing folks, you know, don't throw me in jail for not billing correctly, even though I can't keep up with all the rules of, of that. You've got the insurance company. So there are many consumers of the notes and that flavors how the note and the interaction that the provider has with it. So unfortunately, 
uh, we're having to solve a lot of these problems. Uh, and of course, we are very much interested in partnering with uh, startups in Kansas City and elsewhere. Uh, but I think you know there there's a, a certain complexity in how medicine uh, rolls that people need to understand. Uh, and the more you know about that, I think the better your solution can fit uh, with, you know, what we're having to deal with just as far as seeing the next patient, you know, because all that stuff about the consumers of the record, all of that stuff has to be addressed as I'm, as I am seeing patients and the patients are, you know, nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait on your doctor. Everybody, you know, wants to, you know, get on with their day. And, uh, you know, that, unfortunately, all this other stuff doctors have to do slows them down. Um, and, and really, uh, again, the, the burnout thing I mentioned, uh, EMR is blamed for burnout uh, in some circles, but it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's the problem in, in most places. Uh, there are lots of administrative stuff, though, that is, is to blame uh, outside of medicine, so. So with, with data uh, apparently being the most valuable thing on the planet these days, medical data is a completely different animal. You know, you have HIPAA requirements and all this other stuff. Um, how, how much harder does that make all of it when it comes to innovation? The fact that the data, I mean, it's almost for lack of a better term, it's almost radioactive. I mean, it needs to be handled so much differently. And if it's out there in the world, uh, that's that's where that, that kind of poisonous nature, people don't want their medical re records out. How much does that slow down innovation or just change the entire approach? Well, I think, um, you know, it is appropriate, I think, to have safeguards on, on data and my personal opinion is, is I believe that patients uh, should have the ability to say what happens to their data. And, uh, you know, if they want to uh, extend it to a company working on uh, an innovative uh, treatment for a cancer, then, then I think they need to have an informed consent and be able to do that. And, you know, uh, the patient should be in control of their data. And of course, we are uh, embracing that in in healthcare, um, but I I think the 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 HIPAA and other regulations uh, you know are are good. I think uh, they they do uh, sometimes slow us down, but it, it does get back to what I said a moment ago about folks that seek to innovate in the healthcare space need to just understand that HIPAA is here to stay, and we need to respect patients' uh, right to control their data. Uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think it does, um, you know, there, there's a lot of fear with, uh, uh you know, certain companies interpretations of, uh, the HIPAA rules and regs. Um, you know, we get, we get, uh, in a big organization like ours with over 2000 doctors, the, um, you know, sometimes we have multiple compliance camps with multiple opinions about how we take care of the, the privacy um, and we, and particularly billing rules, you know, that's another, that's another big piece is the billing folks tend to um, uh, operate in a paper world where 
you know, we, we have an electronic record. And actually, if you try to print out an electronic medical record, it doesn't work very well. Uh, so, you know, it's not just HIPAA, but I think it's the other uh, regulatory uh, environment that we have to deal with uh, that, that really causes the, the challenges. All right, so a little little change of, of lane here. Uh, since we are talking about medicine and innovation in general, once again, I'm here with Dr. Greg Ator, the Chief Medical Informatics Officer at the University of Kansas Health System. There is a link in the show notes. You can go to kansashealthsystem.com. And as a quick reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And that's where my question's going. So, you know, doctors are in short supply, um, not only here, but lots of other places. So are software developers. And, you know, my business employs hundreds of them in the Philippines where they are uh, uh, far less scarce. But overall in the U.S., there's on any given day between 300 and 400,000 open IT jobs in the U.S. How difficult does that make, does that, that kind of shortage, and uh, is that creating problems for medicine and innovation? Well, um, you know, uh, that's an interesting uh, question, uh, the whole workforce uh, problem, because I, you said it earlier on, Matt, and I love it, uh, that idea that, that software can solve problems. And um, I, think, I think the challenge in medicine is that the, the, the problem to be solved, in some cases, is pretty complex. So you need, uh, you need pretty high-level developers. And right. uh, what we're trying to do in our organization is is bring our uh, our providers, get them sufficient training in the technical spaces, not to make them developers, but to make them uh, better able to um, work with our uh, Epic uh, counterparts and our Epic technical backend. Because in, in actually in our shop, um, you know, we don't write software so much. We configure the software that Epic uh, and same, it's the same for Cerner. You know, you have thousands, even hundreds of thousands of decisions are, are configuration switches in these very complex um, software uh, products. And, you know, you have to choose the right thing so that it will work properly for the, the providers, the nurses, and the other staff. Uh, I think there is, with the advent of something called FHIR, which is uh, fast healthcare interoperability resources, it's it's a great technology that has just come on the scene relatively recently that allows for that interoperability piece that I talked about. And so for a developer to try to attack a, a small part of the, uh, of the problem and then um, you know, allow it to interact with the transactional EMR system. So the developers, we need uh, developers that have a fair understanding of these challenges of, of of uh, medical health, uh, medical software, and then uh, a technical, you know, background to put it put it together. Um, we are fortunate being here in Kansas City that uh, Cerner, you know, has a huge workforce here, and there is a lot of a lot of folks that I think are, uh, um, you know, uh, with us. What we tend to need, though, is is so you need developers, but also informatics people that understand you know, how technology and healthcare go together. Um, so it's, it's an interesting challenge. 
I think a lot of people don't consider the fact that software, even as a quote, final product often needs significant, I mean, significant configuration, like you mentioned. And, you know, you look at a company like, not medical, but Salesforce has become one of the biggest companies in the world. And, you know, like there's a huge demand for Salesforce developers. What do they do? They configure the product because there's that many bells and whistles. Uh, I learned learned this firsthand as the founder of Gigabook, where we build a fully customizable booking platform. And we're like, wow, what a strength. And then we realized that was also our biggest weakness because... That's usually the way strengths work, that your biggest strength is often your, your biggest weakness. But yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a really, a really, really, uh, I think, unknown thing for a lot of people. So you hear things like AR, augmented reality, virtual reality, machine learning, artificial intelligence. And we've been using these terms and throwing them around for quite a while. At the same time, this is for the most, for in, in the timeline of software and technology a newborn you know like and that's what makes finding people that know how to do it so difficult and you know i i spend many days talking to people that you know they'll say well i need a senior developer that does this and the thing's only been out for three years and i'm like that's not even possible like you can't you can't do it um now when it comes to ai and stuff like that um you know in theory it makes decisions based on logic but i have a feeling that in a lot of cases it isn't the diagnostic part of a doctor's job the the where well it could have a lot of sway meaning like three doctors might find think it has three different problems right how do you be how how does the world of tech begin to work with that you know it's like i said it's like you can get you really can get three different die you know there's the uh you might want to get a second opinion that line exists yeah. for a reason so how yeah. how is that handled and i mean what what how are we going to get through that yeah well i i think you need need folks like me i'll just uh maybe i'm a little biased but uh you know people that understand the technology and understand uh the the problems and you know, AI is, uh, you know, said to, to solve all kinds of problems. I mean, uh, uh, I drive a Tesla and it does a pretty decent job on, on the basics of driving. Uh, I, think, I think we need in healthcare uh, more transparency uh, in the algorithms, how they are working and kind of maybe intermediate, you know, the whole black box idea of, of let's digest all of KU Med's uh, healthcare records, and then you know, let's massage them. Uh, I think that's actually been tried. I think Google did it with a number of uh, institutions, and you know, I think we need to tread uh, carefully. Uh, to, to answer your question, I think I think we've really got to understand the problem and you know, kind of walk before we run. Uh, we are forming a, a group because all you know, we've got as I mentioned thousand staff doctors, you know, twice that overall. Uh, and everyone's getting emails about how AI is going to solve your problems. And, you know, we're trying to kind of develop a clearinghouse so that we can, you know, help folks deploy the technology appropriately uh, and without any surprises, you know, because in healthcare, we don't, we don't, uh, you know, you know, drive by the seat of our pants, you know, I mean, we, 
we really do, uh, you know, we need to be safe. We are, you know, have a fiduciary almost responsibility for healthcare of our patients. And um, we want to make sure that those algorithms are, are um, doing what they uh, are purported to do, what they're sold to do. And so I think it's a real challenge to, uh, um, you know, make sure that the, the uh, overall product is safe and is doing what the clinician and their patient think it's doing. Yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand AI in the regards that, you know, it does, it, it, in the very early, early stages of anything that involves machine learning, people have to kind of tell the machine whether it's right or wrong. Or wrong. I mean, it doesn't really know. They're very binary in the regards that, you know, it's a win or a loss or a true or a false. And then it, it, when it comes to the higher levels of things, and, and I know this because I've, I've built machine learning products that we use for a number of things. And uh, if they learn the wrong stuff, it's really hard to unteach them. You have to basically start over. And, right. you know, that's and that's the you know, that's the the challenge with that. So. All right. So, uh, of course, we're sitting here talking about medicine and innovation, which could be its own 10,000 part series. Uh, we could probably never hit the bottom of that conversation. But one thing that I wanted to make sure we got onto that I think is really, really interesting is is nanomedicine and uh, you know uh, are, are do you know who Stephen Kurzweil is or it, I believe it's Stephen uh, he's been a big outspoken advocate or just voice on singularity uh, the bonding of man and machine and you know talking about how the world of technology can get the computing power of something like uh, similar to what you have the smartphone you have in your pocket in the next 10 years, we'll be able to be as compact as something that's the size or relative size of a red blood cell. So what is the, you know, where are you guys doing anything with nanomedicine? And is that reality and something that we will see in our lifetime? Well, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, that is uh, a topic that I'm not all that familiar with, actually. I'm, I'm a little bit more in just right now, I mean, we do have folks that are kind of in the innovation space for sure, and I'm I'm involved with that. We're spending a lot of time right now just on the whole, uh, uh, you know, human interface, the the ability to get out of what the, out of the system what you need, uh, you know, to take care of the patient in front of you. I would love to have data around. Um, you know, what, what a particular patient has and uh, how it, it compares to the other patients that I personally have treated. Uh, so I, I think uh, what I would be, uh, you know, the, the analytics that would go with such a concept that you describe uh, and how to apply that technology to the, to the right problem I think is one of the key the key questions. You know, how do we deploy something like that, uh, and where in a health system like ours? You know, currently we are uh, in the Midwest, and and a lot of our uh, compensation systems are are more of the old school, you know, that the, the the fee for service type of model uh, rather than a outcomes driven uh, model. And so our uh, our insurance companies and the payers are coming along, uh, but you know it's kind of you know you've got a great tool like that, and how do you how do you deploy it for optimal impact on a patient is 
is one of the questions. So that that does sound quantum computing, another uh, you know another area that I think holds great promise. Uh, uh, and and the the single to noise problem in medicine is pretty significant, right? As far as you know, where is the is the important information in this sea of data that I have? Uh, so uh, those are that's an exciting uh, area, though, for sure. Yeah, I, th I think the early cusp of that that you're seeing is just simple wearables. You know, you've got the Apple iWatch and stuff like that, which. Um, you know, one thing when it comes to medicine, and I'm not going to pretend to be anywhere near your pay grade on it, um, just general fascination and honestly, things I've learned from this show. But, you know, one of the things that a past guest brought up was that medicine is often reactive and you use the heart, a heart attack. You, so here you are, oh God, my, my arm hurts, my chest hurts, and now you're in the ambulance. And talking about the current technology, and they had used the Apple Watch as an example of uh, being able to gather data, process it, and say, hey, you know, sig basically signal the user, you should probably go to the hospital now, right? You know, rather than when it's already occurring. So it's 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 gonna. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how that works, how that happens, and how that comes down down the line it seems to be coming pretty quickly i mean it looks to me as if you know the even just the current versions of some of that hardware can give you some tremendous insights into uh what is occurring now storage processing data and all of that um you know i've had people on the show talk about being being big advocates of that being stored in the blockchain and, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know if that's that's realistic or possible. Is, is that something that you're hearing discussed in and around your circles? Yes. Well, um, that the whole blockchain concept, I think there's incredible opportunity there. Uh, back to one of the concepts I mentioned about putting the patient in charge of their data and uh, understanding uh, how it flows. You know, so, um, you know, the 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 ability to uh, really curate what has happened to your medical record uh, and the idea that, uh, you know, we, we could almost have uh, our records live in the cloud and then we, we part, partition them or, or portion them out to different providers, uh, you know, at our, uh, on our, you know, on our uh, say so. And I think is a incredible opportunity. The, um, Blockchain, um, you know, I've, I've actually seen it uh, recently around uh, the, the hacker uh, problem that we have with, with folks all over the world wanting to get into our uh, computing systems. And, uh, you know, so how do we establish an immutable archive and then, you know, put a wrapper around it, blockchain, uh, you know, secure wrapper. And then, you know, we're much able to get back uh, online, uh, that that's that's one of the ongoing you know questions. I think is how do we how do we uh, you know deploy those technology again? I, it's a recurring theme I think with me is we've got technology and how do we deploy it to the optimal problem and uh, run our business? You know, uh, in in a in the with the the uh, the business parameters that we have currently. So. Well, as long as you figure out how to help someone make more money or save more money, 
then you're usually on the right track. All right. So another thing that's that's pretty fascinating in the world of medicine and innovation is 3D printing, which, you know, has started uh, with physical things. I was watching a documentary a couple months ago where, a, you know, a machine built a small house just out of concrete, you know, hmm. and, and that was it. And uh, wh- where do you see the future of medicine when it comes to 3D printing, like in, on the on the basic, you know, like everyday level for whatever it is that we get done or need to have done? Yeah, well, we're, we're using that uh, technology right now in uh, reconstructive uh, areas. You can imagine that uh, uh, a high speed uh, uh, crash, uh, you know, uh, in the fragile human body, particularly the, the facial skeleton uh, can really be um, uh, mangled a bit. And so the idea is that the, the older technology was kind of like an erector set model with uh, straight plates and, and uh, hundreds of screws, and I'm not uh, exaggerating. Um, the idea, though, of, of 3D printing is to, uh, you know, recreate a, a number of uh, bone defects uh, de novo, and, you know, that could be printed in a variety of materials, uh, you know, and then you basically install something that fixes uh, 20 fractures instead of individually repairing those fractures. So I think, so hard materials that uh, are 3D printed, uh, skull uh, reconstructions for craniofacial issues uh, is another example. But, I, but you can imagine uh, 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 3D printing of, of much smaller uh, materials and substrates uh, so that, that you're able to deploy those uh, in a customized fashion to the patient we have. Remember, uh, just as our fingerprints and our uh, facial features vary, they even vary from the left side to the right side. Internally, people are different as well. There are certain, fortunately for us uh, surgeons, I'm also a, an ENT surgeon, uh, you know, the, the inside of, of us has some, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a, uh, a Gaussian function. You know, there, there is a range that you can typically expect, but there's always you know, the one-offs. So that's, that's the challenge is when you're creating parts, custom parts, they need to be able to fit the patient that you're treating. So I think 3D printing, you know, and not just thinking of the hard stuff, but uh, maybe a cellular uh, structure uh, that you could create to uh, uh, maybe um, um, improve uh, various sensory organs uh, could, could be a real uh, area of, of opportunity. Similar question, but slightly different, you know, precision medicine and operation and all of that. What what kind of technology and what kind of advances are are really taking over uh, when it comes to that? Because it it seems to me that if we needed to that that has a lot of promise because it could be scalable when it came to certain types of procedures or operations or maybe even just avoiding error. Yeah. Well, I think the the obvious uh, easy one there is uh, response to medications. Um, you know, it, it would be great if, if uh, when we're prescribing medications, again, this is a perfect task for a, a machine human uh, interface is you're getting ready to prescribe a medicine and then you integrate that med with the patient's uh, genetic uh, background 
and, and a, a number of the medicines, and this is why we get into uh, race and, and sex-based uh, difference, differences with uh, outcomes and therapy, is there are certain, um, um, you know, genes that, that, that are present that predict non-response to, uh, one example is the hypertensive medications. Uh, so, you know, don't prescribe, why, why do we need to prescribe a medicine that we know if we look at their genetic profile, they're not going to respond to? And so that's called pharmacogenetics. And that's the idea that at the point of prescribing, you have clinical decision support that helps the doctor, you know, go with a medication that they're going to be more likely to respond to. Um, I think precision medicine, uh, you know, if you, if you sequence the whole genome, you know, you get a lot more information. Uh, I really start to get nervous about the privacy and the, uh, of that information. And, you know, we need to be very careful. We were talking about privacy and security earlier, but this is really, I think, where we've got a lot of work to do to uh, understand the, the privacy um, implications of that. But we could start small and only expose, uh, like I said, that pharmacogenetic information that's around medications and then, you know, kind of build from there. Yeah, if you've ever taken a, a genetic or a DNA test, just even just the simple, you know, spit in the vial and send it in, like, was it 23andMe.com? The, the, what they send you back is pretty uh, remarkable. And yeah. I would also imagine that's what you're talking about is, I mean, well, first off, processing, comparing, recommending, that's, I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot. Now, and now you want to do it in fairly real time or, okay. and what you were talking about earlier is maybe even while the doctor's staring at the interface. So uh, as we uh, come to a conclusion here and we're, I got one more thing to chat about in today's episode, Startup Hustle has been brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. All right. So last week I took my dad to have his pacemaker uh, swapped out. And it was time. The battery had run out. Now he's on his third his third one. So I have uh, witnessed the changes in technology there. But I got to tell you what, I was shocked with the fact that we got there at just before 9 a.m. And we were in the car on the way to taking him home before 11. I mean, crazy at how quickly and how uh, they were more concerned about the possibility of, of, a, of an, a bacterial infection in the very small incision they made than they were about at getting it wrong and stopping his heart, you know, and, and with that, um, you know, you've seen the evolution of this, this IOT and that's all, that's what that is. Now, this particular one that they installed, the guy's like, oh, it's okay. It connects to Bluetooth. It's got a cellular thing in it. Like, you know, the, the, the prior version, he had to hold a little, you know, uh, plate, or, you know, it's about the size of two fingers over the device and it would pull data out and pull it back in, which by the way, they synced to their current computer and, or should, you know, they pulled all that information out and uploaded it to the next one. I was just so impressed with, I mean, I, I've had oil changes that took that long. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just the, the overall advancement with all that, when it comes to IOT and just actual, like we were talking about nanotechnology, that thing's certainly not nano. It's a little smaller than, uh, I don't know. It's probably a, a terrible example for a cardiac device, but it's smaller than the pack, than a pack of cigarettes. 
Um, it's, and you know what, 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 that really was a terrible example for a, a cardio device, but, but, but when it comes to, you know, like IOT and medicine and stuff like that, what, what will we see in the future or what's really trending right now? Yeah, I, I think it's a, this is a great area. Uh, and particularly you mentioned the Apple watch earlier and all the, all the, the sensors and data, uh, particularly, uh, as we start thinking about more nanomedicine and uh, placing a sensor, maybe maybe you get one sensor, um, you know, that's uh, a little, uh, you know, rice, uh, grain of rice uh, shape that gets uh, inserted very easily. Uh, and it, it can sense uh, multiple uh, metabolites and, uh, you know, processes, blood sugar. I mean, if we could... If, you know, we already have that in terms of uh, the Internet of Things around, uh, you know, glucose sensors and such. Um, the, the, of course, I did mention analytics earlier and, and you know, the, the idea that, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm really concerned about the provider impact and how, how we don't make certain things worse. You know, the, the, uh, the doctor who uh, hears from the patient, my, my, my Apple Watch is telling me this such you know a lot of it is you know we got to be careful that it is give that apple is practicing good medicine when they designed that product and they had a cardiologist on on more than one or two times you know interact with the developers but um you know as we get to the uh you know the the whole stream of data around us and you know this is gets back to privacy but you know our um our shopping, uh, our dietary, our credit card information, our Google uh, uh, search, with all the digital breadcrumbs that we create. You can imagine when you throw in the quantified self, that's, that's kind of one terminology around the, the data that comes away. All of these Internet of Things devices, are, are, are a lot of them are going to be producing data. And so how do we combine all that together and then present it to the medical decision makers in a way that they can digest it and feel good about it rather than be intimidated by, you know, I mean, we, for a while we went through, you know, the, the concept of Google and a, and a computer do not a doctor make. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, we've just got to be careful. I think about how we integrate that, but the, the potential is just enormous, I think, uh, uh, for better medicine. Do you do you think that that is a possibility down the road that, you know, you meant because I, I based on everything we've talked about, the small amount that I know is that there could be a level of diagnostic medicine that is performed by machines only. I mean, yeah. some of that some of that stuff seems pretty straightforward, like, hey, if your blood sugar is really high, eat less sugar. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, understanding what. uh you know, what people eat, because a lot of, a lot of medicine and a lot, you know, we're, we're a little bit on the side of, and not a little bit, but, you know, treating disease where we should be, you know, promoting health. And so the, I think the internet of things, uh, you know, people, and then you maybe throw in some precision medicine there, the genetic piece about what you're and what you need to watch out for, uh, you know, we could be pre prescribing perhaps uh, an Internet of Things or nanomedicine, you know, early on in people's lives so that we don't have to deal with the, the side effects of 
years of, of disease because that's, we spend a tremendous amount of money on, on, uh, on the, you know, the, the side effects of disease uh, rather than preventing it. And so of course the type of information that we're talking about along with some technology, as far as diagnosis goes, are, uh, that's a, that's a powerful, uh, a change right there. I'm excited about that that sort of thing as far as, you know, combining all that together early in a person's life rather than, you know, after they're, they're already sick. I mean, a simple example of that is, you know, you go, they, as for those of you that are younger, you can look forward to a yearly blood draw, if not, if not even more, and then you're going to invariably get a piece of paper in the mail that has a bunch of numbers and terms that you don't understand. And if they're all in between two different levels, then it might just the last one I got just said, okay. And I was like, wow, that's remarkably impersonal. And uh, I might want some of this explained, which right. then requires a whole nother set of actions. And, and like I said, I mean, some of that, I think you, you can probably well, like I said, hey, your blood sugar is really high or your cholesterol is really high. Try consider doing this, this, this or this. And, yeah. you know, some of that doesn't work. And, and I would imagine that that can probably take up a lot of a doctor's time, too. It's kind of like sure. redundant answers and stuff like that. Once again, with me today, I had Dr. Greg Ator from the University of Kansas Health System. Go Jayhawks. We're allowed to say that on this show. Sure. Occasionally, occasionally we get someone that wants to call us out for being Jayhawks, Chiefs, or Royals fans. Uh, <laughs> at least two out of three were good this year. That's right. So, or looking good this year. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, I ask everyone on the way out. Uh, so normally we do what we call the founders freestyle, but what, what, is what's a little bit of advice or push that you could give to the entrepreneurs of the world that want to trend towards medicine and innovation? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, as we talked about earlier, Matt, the, there are tons of problems to solve. And uh, I think, you know, uh, uh, developing relationships um, with uh, folks that are on the front line that, that have a very good idea about what the problems are, uh, and then understanding how to kind of navigate and uh, excel in the uh, healthcare uh, environment, um, you know, is is uh, it's a it's a great combination. We've got some very talented uh, uh, folks with the solutions uh, and the techniques and tools to improve medicine, and then we just you know, that uh, we're, we're talking about at our institution collision spaces so that we can get those two folks together or those two groups of folks together in, a, in an atmosphere that is conducive to, um, you know, to improving uh, uh, medicine. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you, could, you can develop, uh, there are many other uh, tasks in my, I'm a little biased, my son uh, works for a, a healthcare uh, uh, software company as a developer. And I said, well, you know, you can, you can solve many problems with software, but healthcare problems are, are some of the most interesting. And uh, as you said, there's, there is so much money to be saved and so many good things to be done that we're, we're uh, excited about the, the future of collaborating. I recently gave a presentation to several hundred IT educators in the Philippines, and their, the main question was, you know, what should we push people towards? And yeah, I said, well, there's two, medicine and finance guaranteed aren't going anywhere <laughs> ever. So if you, if, you want, if you want an easy bet, if you have to flip a coin, you'll, you'll, you'll be all right going one of those two directions. 
Doctor, thanks again for joining me. I appreciate the update. I know this was a really broad topic, so maybe we'll come back later and and dive a little deeper into one of these. Uh, it, it was it was it was tough to try to get all these questions in such a short amount of time. So hey, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the world needs more people like you. I appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone listening does as well. Thank you, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.